recording. Good morning and welcome to Revelation Rock, to our family room. What a great time of worship. What a great time of worship. You know, there's a lot of noise in this world. There's noise on every level. There's voices saying, whatever you're doing is wrong. If you're exercising, you can find a voice that says you're wrong. If you're not exercising, you can find a voice that says you're wrong. You can find something that you believe to be authoritative, truth, and you can find somebody that says it ain't. This is the world that we live in. There's noise everywhere. What are we listening to? There's a presence and uh, anybody that's ever delivered the Word of God, especially, and I mean, I don't, I'm not elevating this sharing to a larger body or, or a larger group than one person, but you can get a word, a, a revelation of something, something you want to share, you feel like the Lord's led you to share, and if you've ever felt that, then I guarantee you've also felt a negative pressure towards it, resistance. Sometimes it's greater, sometimes it's less, but I, I can tell you this Last week's and this week's teaching, I have felt resistance on every level. There's something about elevating the person of Jesus that the natural fights against. And that's all we're seeking to do. Last week, we began talking about who or what do we see. Remember, we, we talked about when we see a picture, we always look for ourselves. You see a picture from a family trip 10 years ago, and the first thing subconsciously we always do is we look for us. Where am I at? Where's little me? Oh, there's little me. And then, we, oh, then you remember what all's going on and who's around. We, we are incredibly self-conscious. We talked about, we always look for ourselves when we watch a movie or read a book, we tend to look for our character. We look for ourselves or our role also when we read Scripture. It is my sincere heart desire to help us learn to look for Jesus when we read, to behold the Messiah in all Scripture. Because what happens, and we talked about this last week, but I want to remind us of it. We can, if you're here and you're born again, you got saved by grace. You didn't bring anything to the table. I didn't bring anything to the table. It wasn't like, well, I've been pretty good, so with Jesus' sacrifice and my goodness, I should be good. That's not, you didn't bring anything. You eventually got to the point where you realized you had nothing to bring. You put your, all your faith and trust in Jesus for your righteousness. And then what happens, we go back and we can read a story and we think, okay, I got saved by grace and now I've got all this work to do. All these things to do. I got to try hard because I, you know, yeah, I got born again, but I need to X, fill in the blank. See this role? And we read someone doing something in scripture as though it's us doing something in scripture. And we, can, we carry this consciousness of ourselves into the Word of God. And the reality is this is the Word of God. This is not the Word of us. This is, this is not a story about us. This is a story about redemption in Jesus. We all need a Savior. And we're, we're never bringing anything into it. Now, oftentimes, I mean, last week we talked about... Uh, when we read lists or qualifiers, we begin applying them, sell them to ourselves in order that we may earn something from God by our relative good behavior. Behavior that is relatively good when compared to someone else. I had originally written there, relatively good when compared to our relatives. It was confusing to trip over and then I thought some of my relatives may hear what I was sharing. But you understand, we talked last week that better than 
doesn't weigh any more than worse than. Which is hard for us to hear. If you're here today and you've lived pretty good, it's hard for us to square with, but our better than should weigh a little more. It doesn't weigh anything more than worse than. And what people hear when they hear that, we tend to hear, so it doesn't matter if you do, if you do good or if you just do evil. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying eternally, with relationship to God, it doesn't weigh any more. Righteousness is either 100% or it's zero. It's not, well, I'm like 75%. I mean, there's that, obviously, everybody's got that human percentage of error. That, that's not, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't. We don't enter the throne room of grace, which the irony of that, the throne room of grace, and we're entering it with something to give. It's, it's a free gift. It's, either, it's bestowed through Jesus. We don't bring anything. Now, behavior matters. Things we do matter. There's stuff in this life. We can walk out in front of a train and as a result be a grease spot on the Norfolk and whatever railroad. There's a consequence to stepping out in front of a train. It's not that God's mad at you. It's not, there's no curse on you. It's just, there's, be, doing stuff matters. I'm not discrediting the things that we do. I'm saying that's not the message of the gospel. I don't want to come up here and preach to you about not walking out in front of trains. I'm going to share with you about Jesus. That's our job. And some people, I think there's a struggle in this message because we want to see things from the Old Testament. We want to see things from the New Testament. We want to see lists that Paul gave. We want to see instruction that was given. And we want to say, okay, well, like, I can do some of this stuff. That's fine. We can do some of that stuff. That ain't the gospel. Not stepping out in front of a train is not the gospel. It's good. It's a good thing to do, but it's not the gospel. The law is not our lifeguard. It simply points out that we're drowning. We talked about that last week. The law is not going to save anybody. It's just going to let you know you're out of air and you're under the water. And that's it. There's no, but if you try harder, if you swim faster, it's just, you're done. You're toast. That's the message of the law. And you think, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't hear that. Read a little more of the law and you will. Read a little more. You'll, there's always, there's a disqualifying point at every turn in the law. It brings us, Paul talks about it being a schoolmaster. Brings us to the cross. Brings us to Jesus. To the end of ourselves. We will never reach for a lifeguard. How many of you remember, I'm trying to think of the age range. I'm really not that, I, one of the things I struggle with is the passage of time. I may tell you something like, well last week I did this. It could have been two years ago but I genuinely mean it was possibly last week. I'm not great with the passage of time, but there's a point in time in a kid's life, some of you may relate to this, any of you that grew up around ponds or swimming a lot or uh, rivers, lakes, water stuff, there's a point where every kid, and it's different for everybody, where you're learning to swim and you're getting more confident and there's this little spot, this point in our lives, and some of us can pinpoint it. I remember it clearly, the point in my life, where it's like, I could swim, but not well. But I didn't want any of the girls around to know that I couldn't swim that well. Does everybody, like, for guys, it was, maybe it's not that way, for, but it's like, you don't want to be the last one wearing the life jacket. 
You know what I mean? It's like all your other friends, like, well, they swim great. And here I am with, I mean, we didn't do life jackets. We did the floaties. When you see how easy they pop, it's like, mom and dad, really? You loved me that much? (laughs) But it's like, you're the last kid wearing the floaties. Like, I don't want to wear the floaties, but you can't swim that well. And there comes a point when you're trying to prove that you can, when you realize that you can't. Does anybody remember that point? I remember jumping off the diving board into the deep end at church camp. And I, and I had done my little swim test, so I was good to go. And I, I dove down, and everybody was diving to the bottom and saying they touched the bottom, which I realized I don't think many of them had. But I was like, I'm going for the bottom. And I got partway down. It's like, I'm flat out of air, and I can't swim that great. And I'm nowhere near the bottom or the top. It was like that moment of, I'm toast, The law will bring us to that point. And until you're there, you would never accept, at least for the however old a kid I was then, I would never, the moment before that, like, realization, when your skin gets all prickly and it's like, I'm out of air. At that point, I didn't care what I looked like. I didn't care how ridiculous it looked to have a lifeguard dragging me out in front of all of the girls that I was trying to impress. You just, I just wanted air. I just wanted out. And all of us, if the law does its thing in our lives, brings us to that point where it's like, I'm done caring about what I look like. I can't, I can't do it. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I was trying for the bottom, and then I was trying for the top, and it's like, I can't get enough. I can't, I can't swim. That's what the law brings us to. But the law won't ever, the law is not ever going to save anybody. It's Jesus. It's the lifeguard. Realizing that you're drowning won't save you. Realizing that you can't do it is not going to save you. It's until we reach for the Savior, the Messiah. We believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved, which is why Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, for I am determined, which means Paul has set his mind. He set his heart. He's not going to do anything that he is able except to know Jesus. I determined not to know anything among you. And we read that, like we don't understand necessarily because we're so far removed from Paul's life and the culture and everything that he went through, how big of a statement that was for him. Most educated person that wrote anything in the Bible He knew the most, and he's the one that said, I determined to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. As we, I want to kind of skip down just a little bit. The title of this morning's message is Looking Unto Jesus. If you're writing a title, if you're in charge of putting the title on the website, it's Looking Unto Jesus. And that comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talks about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And as a believer, and we're in the word of God, this is what, like, the second part of a, like, a 20-minute introduction that started last week of where we're headed and what we're looking at in Scripture. We believe with Paul and his letter to, second Timothy, or to Timothy in the 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, this seems contradictory. 
If we're just supposed to see Jesus in Scripture, what about the doctrine? What about the correction? What about the uh, reproof? What about instruction for righteousness? What about those things? Well, those things are all there. And I want to explain, kind of dovetailing in really well with what Tom was sharing at the end, all of those things happen when we behold Jesus. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, we see, and this is a, some famous verses here, some scripture that you've heard. Now, the, the Lord is a spirit, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now there's a handful of things in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we could park at any one of them. This, this chapter is chock full in understanding the letter. Paul was writing this letter. There was some correction going on in this letter to the church. It was, some, it was like some guidance and some correction. And what's he getting at in this correction? There's this tr- word, being transformed. And it's, it, this, this whole story, this whole chunk of verses comes after Paul gives this little monologue on the glory of the new covenant. He talks about, in verse 4 of chapter 3, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit behind the Word gives life. And this all flows into discussing the new covenant and the glory of the new covenant. Which if you're here today and you're a believer, you're part of the new covenant. That's the only way we get born again, is this new covenant founded on better promises. And as Paul, he goes through the ministry of condemnation, which is the law, If that had glory, the ministry of righteousness, this is verse 9 of chapter 3, ministry of righteousness, the right to stand before God that we've received for free from the person of Jesus Christ, exceeds that much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Verse 11, for what, if what is passing away, which is the law, the law of Moses is passing away, was, if that was glorious, then what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, everybody say, we have hope. We don't have hope because of us. We have hope because of what we just read, this new covenant that we've been brought into. If we have hope, such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We declare things at the end of our sermons the last couple of weeks. We've been declaring things. We can declare things boldly because we have such hope. We don't declare that the promises of God are ours because we have knocked it out of the park this last week. Although many of you have. Many of you have excelled in all kinds. We, we anticipate this coming week excelling at whatever we're doing. Whatever we put our hand to. Not because we're awesome, but because we have such hope. It goes on, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. 
but the, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, verse 15, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. That word, we're going to park here a little bit. That word in verse 18, our being, or it's one word in the Greek, but it's our being transformed. It's in the Strong's, it's 3339. If you want to look it up, if you've got a concordance, look that word up. And it's, I don't speak Greek, and I don't know how to uh, uh, word this, but it's metamorpho or metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. Our being transformed. Metamorphosis. From the two words meta, which means change of position, and morphu, which is to form. Change of position and form. We are being formed into the same image. Now, <clears throat> interestingly enough, this is a sister. It's a related word to the word we get repent from. Ooh, this is interesting. We're not going to go into Greek, like this is not a Greek class. I don't know enough Greek. We would never teach a Greek class here. But it's interesting that these words are related. They have a relationship. To change one's mind, to renew one's mind, to change the position or form in our lives. Interestingly enough, this word is passive in the Greek. That kind of bugged me at first when I was looking. It's like, passive? Wow. I feel like this should be an aggressive word. We're changing. But it, that's the flesh. That's me. I'm going to do this. I'll read the word of God enough. I'll change. I'll try harder. I'll, read, I'll get up earlier. I'll stay up later. I'll read more chapters. I'll read more Greek words. I'll read more Hebrew words and Greek words. And I'll change. And it's active. That's me. That's, that's us getting it. We're back, on the, we're back in the game. It's a passive word. As we behold... Jesus, as we behold Jesus in the Old Testament, as we behold the shadows, the types, the outlines of the Messiah and the Savior, the man, the, man, the person, the Christ, we, have, we use the name Jesus here in our culture. If you say the name Jesus, we mean Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ wasn't his name, and you know this. It was his title. His name was Jesus. His title was the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was waited upon, that was, that was prophesied for generations. As we behold him, we begin to be metamorphos metamorphosized. That's the right word? Changed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. We begin, the things, the do's, the lists, the behaviors, they all start to reflect into our lives. Everybody's seen reflections in like water? And you can see, and it's like a little ripple will, will cause it all. But there's times when I used to, I, I don't anymore, but I used to barefoot water ski a little bit. I like to slalom water ski now. Barefooting is abusive to most of the parts of my body that I need, but when it's perfectly smooth, I have some real good friends that do it all the time. They barefoot all the time. And they, they always say, and I can vaguely remember, that when it's, if it's perfectly smooth, I mean like 
mirror finish, your feet actually get hot. You want just a tiny little ripple. Not a lot, because you want to catch your toe and go. But if it's too smooth, that's what I'm talking about when it reflects into our lives, just like that water, when it's perfectly smooth. We see, when we read scripture, we see the exact representation of Jesus begin to come out of our lives on that perfectly smooth surface. We become transformed. There's this, you guys know I like metaphors. I just, I have this, there's a picture that I've been kind of thinking about, wrestling about. I almost shared it about last week and I think it's, I, I want to share it now. Has anybody ever seen an ice sculpture or a, uh, like a chainsaw, a guy with a chainsaw and a chunk of wood and it's like, it's just a chunk of wood. Like that looks like a lot of heat for my house is what I see when I see it. I'm not an artist in that way and so it's like, that looks like if you cut it this way and then split it this way, I could fit it in my stove and I would be warm. But they see it, they take this big old chunk of wood with knots and everything, and they take their little chainsaw and their little short chainsaws and they're just like trimming. And sometimes they draw lines. Some of them don't even draw lines. They just like see it all in their head. Or an ice sculpture, same deal. There's this chunk of ice. It's just a chunk. And little by little it begins to be formed into whatever the artist sees. Now I saw this metaphor and I thought about our lives as believers. We think, we've, I have lived much of my life believing that I'm going to cut some stuff off, I'm going to trim some things, and I'm going to start to look like what I see in Scripture. That's how we tend to interpret a lot of the do's and the don'ts, isn't it? Anybody else? I mean, it's just, a, it's like, well, i got to cut some of this stuff off. But I saw it from a little different perspective. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about this, and I was, I saw the Lord say, everything that you see in a finished sculpture was in there when it was a tree. It was all in there. Everything that you see in an ice sculpture when it's perfect and articulate. A couple, I don't know, it was Christmas time, I think, a few businesses around got ice sculptures. And it was, I, was, I felt real bad for them because it was like 60 that day. So by the end of the day, they had puddles. And that was it, basically. It got cold that night and froze and they had to salt and there was no snow. It was, it was a bad deal. But when I saw that, I was there early in the morning and I saw these ice sculptures, just beautiful, like so articulate. And it's, I, that was kind of when I got this picture. It's like everything was in that when it was a block of ice. Everything, when you get born again, when we get born again, everything in Jesus is deposited on the inside of us. It's all in there. And we might look like a block of ice or a chunk of wood. And little by little, and I... I uh, Anybody ever see a, uh, like a street artist? They set up their little thing and they'll, they'll like draw your picture and you'll look like a cartoon and it's, when, you're, when they're done with your cartoon picture, it's like, that looks just like me. Have you ever seen them? And if you ever watch someone do it, I had one of my good friends, we were on a trip, a business trip several years ago and he's like, this guy's a goof. And so he wanted to get his picture done in a cartoon, which was hilarious because he's a funny guy. And I watched them do his cartoon picture. And it was amazing watching this, the lady that did the, it was a, I mean, a decent sized picture. Watching her paint that, she almost never looked at what she was painting or drawing. It was the weirdest thing. She sat there looking at him. She said, sit on this stool. He's like, do I have to sit still? And she's like, no, just sit there, which is good. He wouldn't have been good to sit still. So he sat there and she just drew 
And just, I mean, she, it wasn't like I would, if I was going to draw a picture of someone, I, if I was going to draw a picture of Bill, I would look at you, Bill, and then I would look at my picture and I would try and draw. And it would be like, what is that? But watching these artists, they just looked at the subject and made little, like, just glances and just, but focused primarily on the subject they were drawing. Beholding him, they painted a beautiful picture. It was actually more of a funny picture, but it was uncanny, the likeness. And watching that, they didn't look at what they were trying to do. They looked at the finished product. As believers today, this principle, this overarching thing that I'm trying to introduce coming into this year, I feel like the Lord has laid heavy on my heart, is that as we look into the Word of God, do not look for us. Look for Jesus. Become Jesus conscious, not self-conscious. Self-consciousness produces strife, comparison, anxiety. We devour one another because we're better than that person, but worse than this person, and no one's fulfilling the Great Commission. And we talked about this last week. I just really feel strongly, and Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 talks about being transformed, that we look at this word transformation, and we see that it is a passive word that's rooted in beholding. It's a passive word that's rooted in what we are setting before our eyes. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, Paul talks about, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's the exact same word. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our spirit is complete, but our soul and our body they have some transforming to do, don't they? They've got a little transforming we do. The more conscious of Jesus we are in Scripture, the more we become molded and shaped into his likeness. The issues of this life, how many of you know we've got some issues? Amen, we have some issues. The issues of this life fade into focus and we grow in seeing things as they truly are. as they truly are. We've got this as we should be thing, don't we? We're gonna see things. I wanna encourage us, church, that as we behold the Messiah, we begin to see things as they truly are. It is not that there's no principles, no life hacks to be gained by studying scripture. They're all over. There's life hacks all through scripture. Proverbs is chuck full of them. It's not that there's nothing to be gained. We just can't make that the point. Because then we get on this treadmill of, I'm going to do pretty good. I'm going to run to the front of the treadmill. And if I run real fast for a second, I'll make it to the front of the treadmill. But you know, all I have to do is just hesitate for a second, and I go shooting off the back. And it's like, oh, I failed. Beholding our Savior more and more in Scripture reveals the life stuff. It bears witness. It rings true in our spirit. We're going to look at one 
little thing. We're not gonna, it's not going to be like a whole other message, but I, I want to share with you just a little glimpse of what I mean by looking for Jesus in Scripture. Because maybe you're here, maybe you were here last week and you're here this week and you're thinking, what do you mean looking for Jesus? Like there's, there's some references that are like real easy to see and there's some things and there's some people, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody, there's some people that if, if the New Testament doesn't reference the Old, script, the Old Testament Scripture as a shadow or a type of Jesus, that's the only ones they count. But how many of you know that John chapter 1 verse 1 is true, was true from the beginning of creation and is true until the end of creation, which is in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he goes on in the end, a little farther in John chapter one, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was all through the old covenant and Jesus was in the new covenant. Jesus is now. The spirit of Christ dwells on the inside of us. So I just wanna share all through scripture, we'll see little glimpses. And you know, I, I wanna share this too. Some people carry around, we carry around this like, well, if it's not a perfect, exact representation, then, then you can't say that it's a type of Jesus. But we know, because we have the Bible, we have the Word, we have the book of Hebrews, we see that the exact representation of the Father was never revealed until Jesus. The, the, the perfect, we see shadows. But if you know anything about shadows, you know they show some, they don't show all. We didn't see all until Jesus came. When Jesus came, it was the fullness of time. All the shadows had been prophesied. All the types had been spoken and acted. And then the fullness of time, the Messiah was revealed, the exact representation of the Father. And it wasn't until Jesus came that we see the perfect. But we see types, we see shadows, and as we see them, we become transformed more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus. Turn with you if you got your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start kind of in the beginning, we're going to see some stuff here. And we're, we're just looking at one, basically one verse. Ge uh, Genesis chapter 3 is where we really see the fall of man. We see the temptation of the enemy. We see the enemy come and he meets, he meets with Eve. And he's like, has the Lord God really said? Interesting side note. Genesis chapter 3 is the very first time in all of human history that we see God misquoted. Now, there's been many times since, but this is the very first time because Eve is not sure. She's like, yeah, he said, don't eat it and don't touch it because in the day that you do, you'll surely die. It was a misquotation. God never said, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. And you might think, wow, tomato, tomato. No, it matters. Every little syllable, everything that God says matters with intricacy and accuracy. And don't think that the enemy didn't take notice. He's like, she has no idea what he said. Because she obviously just misquoted him, and he took advantage of that. But we see the fall of man. We see in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. But this is like a side note, not super spiritual, but I mean, do you think he ate because he knew better than to say, I'm not eating what you brought me? I've learned, I mean, I've learned. When Melinda makes, we just eat. It's like, thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate what you've made for. I'm kidding. That was just a funny, that was not a doctrinal thing. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then we see this conversation between them and God. We're going to read through it. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, and that was their time. Like we sometimes gloss over that, but that was their time. That was God's and Adam and Eve's time. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's the first time they ever hid themselves from the Lord. The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the, uh, the woman, it was the woman, the woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Lord God said to the woman, we're starting the whole process of passing the buck. What is this that you have done? The woman said, it, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherub, cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There's a lot in there. We're not gonna preach everything that's in there, but there's a couple of verses I want us to take notice of as we move towards the end of the teaching today. The fall of man, Adam and Eve believed the word of the serpent, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To protect them, God removed them. I spent a lot of my life thinking this was punishment. They're getting thrown out of this wonderful Eden for punishment. God saw, I don't want them to take hold of the tree of life and be stuck. So he removed them because they had not eaten of the tree of life, and if they had, they would be stuck. Fallen, stuck. It was never God's plan for us to know good and evil. Only good. They ate of the tree of the knowledge, and then they knew evil. Now, in this moment, they were aware of a whole bunch of things, starting with, and I think representative of all that they knew, was their nakedness. Now their efforts, when they had this moment, momentary realization, I'm going to try, I got to keep moving, I, I want to get through this. When they had this realization, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it was like, whoa, whoa. And they reacted 
And I'm not smiling because it's funny that they reacted. I'm smiling about how they reacted. They're like, here's some leaves. We'll cover ourselves with leaves. Now, we know leaves don't last real long. This is the wrong time of year to talk about it. But in the fall, we see, oh, wow, the leaves didn't, they didn't really pan out. They were green for a while, and they were strong, and the wind can blow in the summertime, can it? You can get 50, 60, 70 mile an hour wind in the summer, and the leaves just hang on to the tree. And then, but soon, they blow away in like five mile an hour wind. They just fall, and they blow away. So man's efforts was fig leaves. They wither, they dry out, they blow away. They have no real protective element to them at all. All man's efforts do, think about this, church, I want you to hear this. The best of our efforts... They just awkwardly conceal for a moment. This is our efforts. Understand nakedness is a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is revealed in that. And their efforts were to conceal it. And leaves just awkwardly conceal. Their best solution was like, let's get some fig leaves and we'll fashion something and then we'll hide. Now, uh, there's a thing I just was saying, it's like man's efforts were knee-jerk reactive. It was just like, Oh, heavens, grab some leaves. This is awkward. They awkwardly conceal for a moment. They're knee-jerk reactive. The fig leaf outfits were akin to when we were kids and you hear the garage door opening. We had just broken something or spilled something. Quick, let's get a blanket. We'll cover it over the chair. We'll drape this blanket over the chair that we just destroyed. No one will ever notice. Or something that we spilled. Let's sweep the glass under the couch from the picture we just shattered into a thousand pieces on the floor. I have a lot of these examples because I, peri- I periodically was a fig leaf sort of child. It's like, we got to cover this up. Like we drag the rug over a big hump and we put it, it's like, I don't think anyone's going to notice. Certainly not mom and dad who put the rug there and the picture on the wall. Well, that's the best, that's the picture that I get when I see Adam and Eve's reaction. It's like, I don't think God's going to notice that we're wearing these fig leaves or hiding. It's, it is not effective. But look at the solution. God's solution in verse 21 of Genesis 3, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Where do you think, Adam, where do you think God got skins? Animals. Blood was shed at the very beginning, and we start to see Jesus. Man's reaction to our mistakes are often spontaneous and ineffective, fig leaves. God's solution was intentional and very effective. God made leather tunics. Leather items can withstand heat. I wear leather gloves every day. They can withstand cold, wear and tear, and the passage of time. Thousands of years later, leather items have been discovered still intact. Still flexible and still intact. The Lord God revealed at the very fall of man a glimpse into his redemptive plan. The animals who died to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness were innocent. They didn't participate in any way in the sin or the fall of man. But they were sacrificed and their blood was shed on Adam and Eve's behalf. Jesus was not a participant in sin. In fact, he's the only human who was not conceived in iniquity. 
Yet his blood was shed on our behalf to provide forgiveness of sins. The animals were sacrificed to provide a lasting cover and protection. How, do you, how many of you know, so Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden. They were eventually, they re, were removed from the Garden of Eden. And what did God say? Thorns and thistles. Imagine your only protection against thorns and thistles was dried out fig leaves. Exactly. That's not a good, it's like, ouch. All I can think of is ouch. But God gave that when you go to prune a rose bush, what's the first thing you put on? Leather gloves. We do not put fig leaf gloves on to handle thorns. It would be very ineffective and our hands would be shredded. God made a way for Adam and Eve in the very moments of their fall. And in making a way for them, he paints a picture of the Messiah. You might say, well, that's a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch at all. We see sacrifice, bloodshed, effective covering. That's Jesus. He was sacrificed, his blood was shed, and it was the only thing that was effective. The law of Moses, the try harder to be betters, the, even the sacrificial law that was coming was temporary like a fig leaf. It's the best we got. It's, it's going to last for a day, a week, maybe a year. The longest sacrifice, sacrificial covering in the old covenant was a year. Jesus never wears out. Jesus never wears out. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God, as John, uh, as John the Baptist said, but right before he baptized Jesus, says, behold, look upon the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. We see a picture of Jesus. Adam and Eve ate their way into knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God removed them from Eden to prevent them from eating in the tree of life. But even in their dismal fall into that sinful knowledge, our creator God was making a way. There is a constant in all scripture, from one cover to the other cover. God is always making a way where there is none. From the coverings he provided to Adam and Eve to providing protection to Cain after he murdered his brother, to the ark of Noah, crossing the Red Sea and the Jordan River, the walls of Jericho and all the exploits of the judges, Ruth finding favor in Boaz's house, the exile and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rebuilding the temple right up to the conception and the birth of Jesus Christ. For the wedding feast that ran out of wine at Cana to the man born blind, Jesus continued making a way where there was none. As we behold our Messiah, we see him making a way where there was none. That's what it means to be born again. There was none way out. There is no way. There was none until Jesus, but Jesus. On our own, you're, you will always fail. And I'm not saying that prophetically. That's just the way it is, folks. On our own, we fail. We're never on our own. Jesus promised he would never leave us or forsake us. He sent the spirit of his son. God sent the spirit of his son to dwell in us. All the way to the cross where redemption was given freely to a man with no ability to earn a thing or to change his life in any way. The man who was crucified on one side of the Messiah he had nothing. He, he, literally, he had nothing. 
he had no fig leaves. Understand that? He had no fig leaves. Hanging on the cross beside the Messiah, all he could do was acknowledge he doesn't deserve to die. That's the Messiah. That's all he had. I don't have any fig leaves. He was naked, just as Adam and Eve were. He acknowledged Jesus. All I can do, I've got moments to live, maybe hours. Death by crucifixion was one of the longest ways to kill someone. He had a little while, but what's he going to change on the cross, church? He can't go back and give tithes. He can't go back and not kill someone. He can't go back and not treat his spouse poorly. He can't go back and be a better dad or a better brother or a better son. He can't go back and not think the things that he thought his whole life. He had no fig leaves and no access to any. Right up to that moment, we see Jesus making a way. He had no way to be righteous. He couldn't go to the temple and offer sacrifices. He couldn't get off the cross. He was going to die in a little bit. He had blown it. Just as we have all blown it. The difference is, a lot of times in this life, when we're here, we carry this illusion that we can fix us. We can fix us. I can, what if I tried harder? If I got up earlier, and what if I read more verses? What if I learned the Greek and the Hebrews we talked in the beginning? Still, I have no, we have no fig leaves. All the way to commissioning Paul to carry the gospel to us Gentile believers. We had no covenant. We had no standing with God at all. Salvation is available to us just as the provision God made for Adam and Eve was available to them for free. Do you see, notice in Genesis chapter 3, there's something, there's something noticeably absent. You say, what's missing? Well, the one thing I want to point out that is missing is you don't see Adam and Eve saying, all right, Lord, we're going to pay you back for these, for these tunics of skin. We'll work for it. We'll straighten up. We'll try harder. They had nothing. They realized the futility of the fig leaf situation. And they just received. Just like we receive the gospel. If we try and get into a contractual thing with the Lord, like, well, what if I quit doing a couple of things just to say thank you for Jesus? And it's like, you know, kind of we trade a little bit. You give me right standing with you. Watch me perform. Watch me behave. There's, we can only receive freely. We can only receive freely the gift of salvation. If you would stand with me this morning as we close. I want to close with a blessing as we go from this place. Here at the rock, we believe in the goodness of God. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That right is right and wrong is wrong. We carry the gospel with us with boldness. The most important message ever told to our generation. We carry it with simplicity and with certainty to a complicated and uncertain world. 
We thank you, Jesus, for making a way where there was no way. For imparting to us by grace through faith the gift of right standing before God. We thank you that we are blessed and highly favored in Jesus. That we are blessed in the city and in the country. When we rise up and when we lie down. We thank you that as you made a way for us, you also promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So even as we deal with difficulty, with hardship, this world isn't fixed yet. We can deal with difficulty with confidence. And we declare right now in the name of Jesus, victory and not defeat, peace and joy in Christ Jesus. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this body. Thank you most of all for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We declare faith over this body, favor, and the blessing of Abraham in Jesus' name. Amen.